Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the Back of the Range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 99. As always, thanks to everyone for following and listening along to the podcast each and every week. Can't thank you all enough for your support and feedback. Been getting a lot of requests for more amateurs, more collegiate players, and more senior amateurs to be featured on future episodes. I definitely have an amazing lineup of guests over the next few weeks. And while this week we're going to enter the professional ranks, don't worry, more amateurs are on the way. By the way, if you take the time to reach out with comments, I send out some swag. Gary, I know you're listening. And yes, I know you don't do social media, but I appreciate the feedback all the way from South Carolina. Thanks for spreading the word to all of your golf buddies. And I hope you enjoyed the new Scotty Cameron putter that I sent you. And by Scotty Cameron putter, I mean back of the range golf podcast logo towel. I didn't send a putter. I don't even know if you're left-handed or right-handed. I mean, that's just, that's just outrageous. For those of you that aren't Gary, please follow along on social media channels. Remember, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Instagram handles where a lot of this stuff gets posted. That handle is the Back of the Range podcast. We have towels and hats for sale on the website. I'm actually getting some more hats made up because I'm running out of them. So if you like those trucker hats, you might want to jump on that right now. Head over to the website and order a couple hats. Again, the website is thebackoftherange.com top right you'll see a merch link and there you go a couple mojo updates brandon Wu, chandler phillips and cole hammer all got sponsor invites to the houston open last week on the pga tour all three made the cut now i know they would have liked to finish a little bit higher on the leaderboard but for brandon and chandler hey they made a paycheck and cole got to spend a couple extra days in front of his hometown fans so best of luck to those guys for the rest of the year so if you're familiar at all with the mini tours here down in South Florida, there are a few names that always have seemed to be at the top of the leaderboard. On episode 53, I was able to catch up with Steve LeBrun. And since it was a very popular episode, I wanted to speak with another one of the prolific players that has competed on the minor league golf tour over the years. He just came off a very successful season on the Corn Ferry Tour. Our guest this week is Dan McCarthy from Syracuse, New York. We spoke about his start in the game and his college days playing for D2 LeMoyne College. We spoke about his incredible 2016 season on the McKenzie Tour in Canada and also a few of the highlights from last year that saw him find the winner's circle in Savannah by edging out Scotty Scheffler for his first Corn Ferry Tour win. So let's get started. Dan, thanks so much for joining me here at the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, I don't know why I do this to myself, but during the Walker Cup uh, episodes, I spoke with Alex Smalley from Duke, and now I'm speaking to you, and you're a Syracuse guy. I'm a Kansas Jayhawk. I don't know why I do this to myself. I, I, I mean, a lot of pain from Duke, a lot of pain from, from Syracuse that you've inflicted at that, that national championship when you guys had uh, Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony. I remember where I was during that game. Give me your, Give me the other side of the story. Uh, what were you doing when Syracuse won the national championship over my Kansas Jayhawks? I was watching it. I was a senior in high school. I was watching it with a couple buddies. Uh, we were at home, and we got in a car after we won, and we drove up to Marshall Street, which is 
um, you know, the kind of the, the student, you know, bar yeah. restaurant area in Syracuse. And, you know, we drove around and we were honking our horn and, you know, everybody was celebrating and climbing trees and, you know, the craziest thing you can possibly imagine. So it was, it was a great night. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't Dan, but that's okay. Uh, as long as you're <laughs> great happy. night for us. Oh yeah. 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 As long as, <laughs> as long as you're happy and you know, if I can butter up the guests before we're digging into your, your golf career, then, then my, my work here is done. You, so you're originally from Syracuse and you went to Lemoyne college D two school in Syracuse, how they got the nickname or the, the mascot of dolphins in Syracuse, New York. I, I don't know how that happened, but Tell me how you find your way at Lemoyne College. Well, you know, my I had a, a lot of family ties that went there, and you know, I, I was originally going to go to St. Joseph's in Philly, which is an A10 school, but had a physical before I was going to go down there, and, and you know, some things came back where they that my doctors just wanted me to stay home for a little bit to kind of make sure everything was okay. So I enrolled at Lemoyne. Ended up, you know, we played some really good golf tournaments and met a lot of great people there and then ended up just deciding to stay at home. And, you know, the unique thing, unique thing about golf, you know, you're still playing golf no matter where you go, whether you go to Lemoyne or whether you go to, you know, Oklahoma state sure. or whatever, you know, obviously the competition is, is better at the division one level nowadays, but, you know, looking back on it, playing golf in the Northeast taught me how to play and how to grind through some extremely nasty weather conditions. So, you know, it, it may not have been a, a, a bad thing uh, in that regard. So, but, you know, it taught me how to win also. Oh, uh, I well. won a lot of tournaments in college and, and all that. So, yeah, no, I, I looked up uh, your records and I mean, all time winningest, I, I think they have by winning percentage, but you're at the top of just about every single list there. You went into their hall of fame in 2017. So you mentioned the, the adverse conditions, the poor weather, so tell me a little bit. So this is probably around like the 2003 to 2006 range of, of when you were there, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, mm -hmm. So give me an idea of one of the worst conditions, uh, worst condition golf tournaments that you, uh, that you end up playing in as far as weather or the course conditions. Let's elaborate on that. Come, give me an example <laughs> of one of the like, really, I'm out here playing golf in this. Well, uh, ironically, it was about the southernmost tournament we had ever played. Oh. And it was in Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, we were playing a golf course called Rum Point, which is right on the water. Okay. Beautiful golf course. And, I mean, it was probably 38 degrees with a 30-mile-an-hour wind, and we were getting snow flurries. <laughs> so it was literally snowing on us while we were playing. And it was the weather was so bad. One of the guys, I can't remember what school he was from, what team he was playing for. It was so bad. The guy walked off after 12 holes in the middle of a college tournament. The guy just flat out quit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then that, I, I don't, yeah. I don't think he played another event for them, but you know, I just, I always look back on that tournament. That one stands out as, as just being God awful. I think, I think I shot like 73 that day and was low by like five shots. <laughs> oh, well, I, I would imagine. Well, I guess also no matter how, how tough things get for you with, you know, going through developmental tours and working your way up to the web and obviously winning last year, I would imagine that that stays fresh in your mind. Anytime you want to quit or maybe, you know, take, you know, take a, you know, the short cut, I guess you can think back to that guy and be like, well, I'm, I'm sure as hell not going to be that guy. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, I, I, 
I'm not necessarily trying to call him out. Oh, no, no. Stupid, but, you know, that was, uh, that was shocking. Sure. No matter what you're shooting at a, at a college tournament, you, I, you know, you always had to finish whether you're embarrassed or whatever, but yeah, I, 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 I couldn't believe the guy quit. It was, <laughs> it was, I, I, here I am 15 years or so later and I'm still shocked by it, but yeah, that was, that was hysterical. You know, I, I talk about that day with, some of my old teammates all the time. It was kind of, we all get a good laugh out of it. Well, you had this great career at LeMoyne. You turned pro in 2007. You know, it's a lot different now, just, you know, a little over 10 years later, you know, a lot of these college players coming out of school, they're, you know, they're signing with agents, they're signing endorsement deals, they're, they're dressed in new clubs and new clothes before they ever really get a first start on any tour. What was your experience and, uh, you know, what was your experience like declaring and starting your professional life? How did you get started? Where did you get started? Maybe kind of walk people through the, the you know, the realities of that coming from, you know, a D2 school in the Northeast as opposed to, you know, maybe some, you know, hotshot All-American at a D1 school like Oklahoma State or, or you know, Florida. Well, obviously, I'm not, you know, one of the the, the wolves or the Morikawas or, you know, these young guys that come out and just explode on the scene. But I moved to West Palm in the fall of 2007, I think it was. And I turned pro by going to Q school. You know, I didn't have a press conference or anything like that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I made it through pre-qualifying and I missed it first stage. And I think I moved down right after then. You know, I just started playing the mini tours. You know, I, I think I played a bunch of minor leagues and then the gateway tour, it was their final season here, which was the remnants of the golden bear tour. Yeah. And I guess that tour was just dying what, from lack of sponsorship or I'm not necessarily sure what happened, but you know, I, I ponied up the money and I think you had to put up 10 grand, I think for, uh, you know, an eight or nine event season or series. And it seemed like there were 60 or 70 guys every week. And it was like the 60 or 70 best players that have ever played the golden bear tour. And I went out and I think I only made like two or three cuts. I just got my head beat in and, you know, realized that a lot of these guys have been playing all those same courses for many years. And I'm just coming out and I'm 22 years old. And I'm like, you know, not necessarily shell shocked, but I was like, Whoa, these guys are, you know, really, really good. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's how I got started. And then, you know, just, you know, you're touching on these, these younger guys that are coming out of school. Like, you know, I, I, it shocks me really, even in the, I guess, 10, 12 years I've been a pro at how much more prepared these guys are coming out of college than when I came out of college. I mean, there was a lot of great players that came out the same year as me, but you didn't have as many guys, as many 21, 22 year olds winning you know, through these sponsor exemptions that they're getting on the PGA tour, which, you know, obviously they deserve to be given these spots and, sure. you know, they've proven they can play. So it's, you know, it's just amazing to me that, you know, that it just in the last 10, 12 years, how much the game has changed and how much more prepared these kids are, you know, coming out. It's, it's great to see. Yeah. You know, and I was going to ask you this question a little, little bit later on, but we're, we're kind of right around the topic. When you see that you're 34, I believe 34, 35 years old. Mm-hmm, 34. Uh, okay, so you're 34 years old. You see this and how maybe this new youth um, movement is, I mean, it's, it, the PGA Tour has always been getting younger and younger, but it's really going that way, especially with, 
you know, Wolf Morikawa, Hovland, and all these other guys. When you see that, does do you get a sense of urgency necessarily because, hey, I'm, I'm 34, or because, wow, 34 is a lot older on the PGA Tour than it used to be? Like, what, as a as a person that's chasing it as your career, I know you're. I know it's great for the game of golf, but how does that affect you and your approach? I wouldn't say, you know, it doesn't necessarily freak me out or anything. I mean, everybody, everybody's development is different. You know, some people, you know, explode onto the scene. Well, I shouldn't say some people that's, that's still the anomaly, I think, but you know, some people just take a little bit longer in their progression and, you know, I'm, I'm still learning about my game and my swing and, you know, and I try to iron things out, you know, every day as I go along to try to get better and more efficient and stuff like that. But, you know, when I first started playing, I think the average age for a rookie on the PJ Tour was 32 or 33 years old. So yeah. I'm not necessarily too far off the curve of when I started playing. You know, the things have changed, like I said, in the last 10 years. I'm not sure what the average age for a rookie on the PJ Tour is now. But, you know, I'm sure it's even if it's gone down into the 20s, I'm sure it's, you know, 28, 29 right. at worst. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm still a little bit behind the curve in that respect. But you know, I can only do what I do and, and just try to get better every day and every year and, and try to improve. And I think I've done that, you know, especially the last three years, you know, starting in Canada, you know, then I got hurt, but you know, 2018, I finished, I think 55th or so on the money list. And this past year, you know, I had a great opportunity to get a tour card, but I you know ended up finishing 31st. So, you know, I made a, a huge improvement there. I just plan to keep trying to do that, just get better every year. And uh, these kids are, you know, coming out much more prepared to play, but they're also in physically better shape. You know, I didn't really start, you know, doing workouts to target golf until about five years, five, six years ago. Okay. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm in the best shape I've ever been physically. So yeah, I, I'm just trying to progress and, and do what I do and get better every year. And, you know, it'll happen when it happens. Yeah. Well, you know, the place that you are working on this and, and trying to get better every day is Bear Lakes. And it's, uh, you know, Bear Lakes Country Club in West Palm Beach, Florida. I'm a native South Floridian, so I know, uh, you know, it's right down the street from me. You know, you have to pick a place in South Florida to kind of, you know, make your camp. How did Bear Lakes become the place that you chose? When I first moved down, I moved down with uh, another buddy who was pursuing professional golf from upstate New York. And he had a couple of friends that lived in this area and I didn't know anybody. So he asked me if I wanted to get a place with him down here. And I said, yes. And he introduced me to his friends and some of those guys were members at Bear Lakes. And, you know, I inquired about joining out there and I was able to get in, you know, a couple of months after I moved here and, you know, been there ever since met a lot of great people. And, you know, we have, games pretty much every day if you're looking for it so it's it's when i when i first joined there there was probably 25 30 pros that were you know either playing golden bear tour or on the, i think it was the nationwide tour at the time and, and there were several pj tour players there so yeah you know it was a, it was a great spot to be if you wanted to learn and get better and and, and really play you know i i can't stand hitting sitting or sitting on the range for three, four hours hitting balls. You know, I like to, you know, hit some balls that I'm, and do what I'm working on and then get out and take it to the course. So, you know, I like the fact that there was always games to play out there. Who, uh, who were some of the older pros that, you know, when you first joined there, I guess around like, you know, Oh seven, Oh eight, and you're, you're down there and you're spending time. Who are some of the pros that maybe you gravitated to that, 
not necessarily consider as mentors, but guys that you're like, okay, how do I learn to be a professional? Like, it's not just shooting the scores. How do I treat this as my career? And how do I become a professional uh, golfer? Oh, boy. Let's see. I know Steve Steve Marino was there back in the day, guiding Jess Daly, who spent some time on the PGA Tour. You know, I talked to him, picked him, picked his brain quite a bit. Uh, Justin Hicks, you know, he was a longtime web tour and spent several years on the PGA Tour. So, yeah, I've talked to him quite a bit. Gosh, there's probably 20 other guys who were on, you know, the Golden Bear Tour that I played against and, and we had games out there with some are still playing and some some aren't anymore so you know i think brooks kepka brooks was out there for a little while i think he and i played together a couple of times i think he's still a member there i know his little brother's there i see him all the time yeah but i, I think I, he's I, I, now. yeah i think i think they're members there i i do uh you know i have to at least let get your share of this story but i did have the membership director there who played in several u.s opens mike weeks was a guest on the podcast uh, last year. And I can't, I think I asked him what was, you know, one of the more memorable things he's seen at Bear Lakes in his time there. And, and he brought up your performance in a pro scratch event where I think you birdied 11 out of your last 12 holes from the tips on the lakes course, or was it links course? It was the lakes course lakes. All right. So when I heard that, I was like, okay. And I pressed him for a few details and he gave me a couple, but when was that? Ex- explain how that thing happened. That was two years ago. So 20, I think it was December, 2017. You know, it's the pro scratch. I always see as a fun tournament, you know, a buddy of mine who used to live down here in West Palm, who at the time, or well, at one point was trying to pursue professionally. He now moves, you know, lives in Dublin over in Ireland and he, uh, he comes over every year. We play in the tournament and, you know, it, it is a golf tournament, but we, we like to have a good time that weekend. So, you know, we're, we're out and about, and I think we teed off at like nine o'clock. We had a good first round. So we were in the weeds, we teed off on one and, you know, we just kind of kept it going from the night before. And sure. I didn't have a great start. I think I was a couple over through six holes and I don't know if I'd just uh, had the right right amount of, of beers in me or whatever, but you know, all of a sudden we got to seven, and I don't know. We just we just had an attitude like we didn't really care, you know, what whether we were winning or whatever. And I don't know. I just started making birdies. You know, I I think I made a couple of you know maybe thirty footers or twenty footers, and but uh, I was mostly just hitting it good. I was hitting it close and making the putts, and you know, I ended up chipping one in, but I was only like fifteen feet from the hole. Uh, you know, and just kept going. It, it got to the point where I just kept saying, all right, let's see if I can birdie the next one too. And, you know, I almost, I think I lipped out for a chip or for an Eagle chip on 17 as well. So it was, uh, it was, I don't know. It was more one of the, it was definitely the best streak I've ever had. So yeah, a, a lot of players, you know, whether they're, you know, guys on, you know, weekend players, amateurs, um, you know, they kind of get nervous if they get on any sort of streak, whether it's birdies or pars, you know, they feel like, okay, I'm out of my comfort zone here. I don't normally make three pars in a row or three birdies in a row. And, and ultimately they can't handle being in that uncomfortable moment. And they, they, it, it, it goes away. Have you always had the ability to, to go low or, you know, it seems like some people have that and some people don't, has that always been you or have you had to work on your mental approach to get to that point? No, I, I mean, I've always had the ability to go low. I can get really hot with the putter. 
you know, so the days when I'm hitting it good and hitting it close and give myself a lot of chances, I can really go low. I can keep it going. I mean, it, I, I have worked on the mental approach to that. It's, you know, the, it's, you know, true. If you truly break it down to one shot at a time and put all your focus on that, on the next shot, you know, that, that, uh, really does help, you know, that day at Bar- during the pro scratch, you know, my buddy and I were solely focused on having as much fun as we possibly could, no matter what happened, whether we won the tournament or not, you know, so it was just a, a relaxed atmosphere. We had a good pairing, you know, we, we were playing with a couple guys we knew and we're, you know, they were having a good time as well. We were playing music, you know, it was just, just a relaxed atmosphere and I got on a heater and was just able to keep it going. There you go. Before we talk a little bit about uh, your your run in 2016 on the Canadian Tour, uh, the McKenzie Tour, I should say, I just want to ask you, you know, we I had Scott Turner on from the Minor League Golf Tour. Uh, he, he runs that, does a great job down here in South Florida. There's always events and, you know, Q School Series and just there's there's tons of, of things that, that that tour does for aspiring professionals. Uh, I'm sure you're you're well aware of um well, maybe you're not well aware. I know you're you're fourth in the career money list. Do you know how many career minor league wins you have right now? I think it's forty something. Yeah, forty nine. So, oh. so you're you're right there. I, I know that that's not exactly where you're where you're looking to play, but you know you never know. You might have an off week down here in South Florida and pop into, you know, pencil in that fiftieth win. But speak to what maybe the minor league tour has been able to do for your career. Uh, as far as you know, in the early years being on the developmental tour, um, you know what that's what that's meant as far as helping you progress. They do they do do a, they do a phenomenal job. You know they provide three to four days a week where you can play and, and hone your skills and, and earn some money doing it. You know it's the Q school contests are fantastic. You know the tour they have I think they have four majors now throughout the year where they get ten thousand first place. You know so. Before I got on, you know, the web, the web tour, or sorry, the Corn Ferry tour, or even the Canadian or the McKenzie tour, you know, playing for ten grand was is was a huge amount of money. It's still yeah. a lot of money. I mean, I, I won a couple of those, and you know, the, getting a ten thousand dollar check when you're struggling mini tour pro is massive. You know, it gives you, you know, a little bit of comfort for you know the next couple of months that you can pay your bills and stuff like that. But you know, the the thing that it I thought was, I think is most important is it, it taught me truly how to grind, you know, and you got to shoot something in the sixties if you're going to win or, or make a check and make some money out there. And, you know, it, if you're not, if you, let's just say I'm even par through seven or eight holes, it taught me to really be patient, really grind and really keep going and try to shoot, you know, maybe make a couple birdies before the turn and then try to shoot three or four under on the back nine to see if you can get in, get in the hunt and, you know, at the least, make a profit on the day, you know, so I never really had, you know, big time sponsors who threw 50 grand in a bank account for me to go out and play with every year. You know, my parents helped me out initially to get started. And, you know, I always had to kind of, you know, fight my way for every single dollar, you know, cause I'm paying rent down here. You got car payments, you got, you know, country club membership payments, Yeah, you know, the, the bills are, the expenses are extremely high doing what we do. And, you know, it, it, I, for several years in a row, I played every day on the minor league tour, whether they were playing down in Fort Lauderdale or up in Stewart or Port St. Lucie. So, I mean, I drove all over the place chasing these tournaments, just, you know, trying to hone my skills and, and, you know, make ends meet. 
you know, they, they provide a great opportunity for guys living in this area to go out and compete and, and you know, make some money doing it. Well, one of the uh, benefits of that tour, uh, I, I took you eventually to uh, 2016 to play in the McKenzie tour. And, uh, well, leading up to that, I mean, first of all, it's, it's a, it's, there's only 12 events. It's, it's obviously, you know, can't play golf in Canada all year round. So, and, and I'm looking at that, that year that you had, there's 12 events. You win four of them. You win a third of the events on on that tour and you capture player of the year uh you know it gives you the the promotion and the exemption to the to the web it, you mentioned being on a heater during that pro scratch you know 11 birdies and 12 holes as far as a a being on a heater for a stretch of tournaments is that just the hottest you think you've ever been i mean as, as up to up to this point looking at 2016 can you maybe just walk us a little bit through what what that run was like for you in, in 2016 on the McKenzie tour. Yeah, that's undoubtedly the best golf I've ever played in my life. You know, even leading into that season, I won the Ocala open <clears throat> in April. I think it was either April, April or March. So, you know, just that stretch of golf for, you know, a couple months before the McKenzie tour started. And then even afterwards, you know, that, that year was just incredible. I mean, I've been trying to figure out how to tap back into whatever I was doing back then. Uh, you know, I, I, I really have played solid the last two years. Right. You know, so there, I don't want to say I, I honestly, I think I'm a better ball striker now than I was that summer, but you know, I, I got into a great groove with my, uh, with my ball striking and, you know, the, the prior years on the McKenzie tour, I really struggled with the driver and, I think at the end of 2015, I went and did a fitting at a place called Modern Golf just outside of Toronto. And there were only, I think there was only two tournaments left and I, I was in danger of losing my card. I did this fitting after, right after I'd missed a cut. And I think I was, I was able to negotiate with them that I was going to take that driver that I was using out of in their studio with me. You know, no matter what, I, I was like, I want to buy this one. I don't want you guys to, you know, order the shaft and, and build right. it and then send it to me because it's never going to, you know, it's never the same. Never, no two driver shafts are the same, no matter what they say. Right. And they let me do it. They let me buy it. And I took it with me out to Nova Scotia the next week and finished third, which got me in the tour championship to keep my card for the next year. So, you know, even going back to that point, you know. That, that kind of set me up to be able to play in 2016 up there. But, you know, I just, I got a, I got on a roll yeah. and then I putted so well that summer. It, you know, it was, it was crazy. I just, I, I hit a lot of shots close to the pin, but I was making those putts. You know, you can, you can hit, you can strike the ball great. And if you don't make the putts, then obviously you're not going to have anything to show for it. But, you know, I just, my putting was spectacular that year. I mean, first player to win four times in a season, set a record for largest margin of victory, seven shots, lowest 72-hole score of 259. I, I did that twice, actually, at the Players' Cup and the, the Golf BC. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. What what are maybe some of your memories off the golf course in Canada? You know, I've I've been to, to Nova Scotia. I've, I've played Cabot, which is an incredible place. You know, can you maybe speak to what it's like off the golf course being on that tour as far as traveling around? You know, do you recommend that to guys that are trying to follow the, your your similar path to make it to the PGA Tour? 
you know, we don't hear a lot about. I think the last I really, uh, the last big noise I kind of saw coming out of that tour is when Tyler McComber was was kind of doing what you were doing, kind of winning just about every other week, it seemed. Um, you know, how's that tour off the golf course? It's They do a tremendous job on that tour. You know, I still keep in touch with all the people that were running the tour uh, when I was up there. And it gets better every year. I know the purses have gone up since I since I played there, but and I, there's a lot of other guys that I've I've seen in interviews, read in interviews, or listened to or whatever that talk about the McKenzie Tour being the best time they've ever had in professional golf, and I completely agree with them. <laughs> okay, uh, so what what makes it that? I mean, we don't have to talk about all the Labats, or you know, I mean, it's. Yeah. It, <laughs> But I mean, what, what, what about the tour? Cause is it just, is it more the people? Is it more the, the country itself? Cause I mean, there's tons it's, of these tours, like the Latin America tour. There's, there's tons of them. It's everything, you know, from the, the guys who run the tour to the fans, the volunteers, the locations we go to, you know, I, I tell everybody that if, if I all of a sudden have to up and disappear for whatever reason, you can find me somewhere in, in, the Pacific Northwest and in, in British and DC and British Columbia. It's just, I, I got excited every single year to go out there. The first three weeks are in BC. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. I mean, the most beautiful place I've ever seen is in Banff, which is in the yeah. Canadian Rockies in Alberta. Um, yeah. we, we play in Calgary every year and I would drive, I'd take two days. I'd drive up there and just hang out you know, ride a gondola up to the top of the mountain. Just, you know, there's, you look down, there's this like aqua blue lake. That's a glacier fed lake. It's just spectacular. Yeah. That's, that is one place I'm trying to get to, to Banff. I want to go play there. Oh my God. It's beautiful. Yeah. What a place. Yeah. That's uh not, not a pro event. I need to go on a golf vacation. I can't handle all that stress. So um, I'd, I'd recommend it in, in any fashion, whatever you can do to get there, I would recommend it. What was kind of the, the jump in maybe intensity that you may have felt going from Canada to the corn Ferry tour. I think it's interesting how that tour has so many great players. Every tour has so many great players, but maybe the casual observer or the casual follower of professional golf may not realize just how good the players are on that tour. You know, the tour is either, you know, the, the corn Ferry tour is made up of guys who've either been on the PGA tour or are going, going to the PGA tour. Um, so you got extremely, you know, young, talented guys or extremely talented guys who've been on the PGA tour, been at the highest level and coming back down and want to get back there. So there's, there's such a drive, you know, I'm not saying there isn't drive on every other tour to, you know, get to the next level, but you know, it's, it's just, you know, really, really intense out there. Guys want to get to that next level. You know, everybody wants to win on the PJ tour for, you know, a lot of different reasons, but pressure, I guess, when you get in the hunt out there, it's just, you know, it's hard not to think that you're, think about the fact that you're on the cusp of, you know, making all your dreams come true. If you've never been to the PJ tour, like I've played a few events out there, but I've never had status. So, you know, when you get in the hunt, there's just a lot on the line, you know, there's, whether it's financial reasons or, you know, just trying to accomplish a goal, you can prepare yourself as in, in for the moment, but you can't really figure out how you're going to react until you get in the moment. And I've been in the hunt several times, you know, it took me a few times of, of messing up on the McKenzie tour to, you know, really understand how my body reacts in those situations. And, you know, a couple times on the web tour or on the corn Ferry tour as well. I think I was one shot off the lead in Exuma and, 
a couple of years ago and I ended up finishing fourth, but then I think I had the 36 hole lead in 2018 and ended up finishing 20th or so. But, you know, it's just part of the learning process for me is, is how my body and how my brain and everything's going to react when I get under the gun like that. You know, if you're, you're, you're going to be battling nerves. I don't care who you are. You're going to be nervous. I meant to ask you this, but, you know, before you got your status on, on McKenzie and then moved up to Corn Ferry, you know, you, you spent the years, you know, doing, uh, I think you, you, we, you spoke earlier about going to Q school multiple times. And I guess my question is, it probably is easy for guys to go on a merry-go-round of like, okay, mini tours, then Q school, then mini tours, then Q school and go back and forth. What were maybe some of the things that you tried to focus on or did you have a process of sitting down at the end of a year, analyzing what you did, how do I improve? What needs to be improved? I'm just wondering if you had any sort of a process to maybe give yourself a little pause before just starting another year of, of you know, same old, same old. Yeah, I would always, I, I'm a pretty analytical guy. You know, I like taking videos and, and tracking progress on what I'm working on. But yeah, so I mean, I was always trying to get better, you know, no matter what time of year it was. Sure. But, uh, you know, especially after Q school, whether I missed it first stage or second stage, I only made it to finals one time. So I think I missed it second stage probably five or six times out of 10 times of going to Q school. So I would always have a little bit of downtime in November and December uh, to just kind of sit there and sit down and assess what I needed to do to get better. And, and I think when I first started playing was when Steve Stricker was making his comeback, yeah. you know, from the deaths that he went through. And I always loved his swing. It was just so efficient and it just seemed, it just looked like such low stress, such low maintenance. And my goal was always to kind of mimic what he does. And there's, you know, I, I actually work with the same coach and who happens to be his father-in-law yeah. that he does. You work with Tiz. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I do a lot of the same things that doesn't necessarily look the same as Steve just because, you know, we're built differently and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I've come a long, long way in the last 10 years in terms of making my swing more efficient. So it's I mean, I would sit down at the end of every year and, and identify, you know, one or two specific areas in my game or in my swing that I needed to improve upon. And, you know, I would just go to work. You know, if I have something I really need to work on, I know I mentioned earlier, I don't like sitting there beating balls on the range, but I will do it. I mean, if, if I got something I think I really need to get in and, you know, I, I, the only way I know how to do it is through repetitions, you know, whether it's sitting there hitting balls and, you know, I have a mirror right here in my living room that uh, I do a lot of mirror work at night on my swing and just working on certain aspects. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to say I get obsessive, but I guess I kind of do when I'm trying to, you know, implement something into my game. So uh, I'm pretty analytical in that regard in terms of uh, identifying areas and how I need to get better. Sure. Well, uh, you mentioned work. I know you need to get to get some work in today, but I, I just want to kind of get you out on, on one final question. You've, you've been a veteran. You've been, you've been playing professionally since, you know, over a decade. And there's a lot of guys that are are going to be making that jump and turning professional, whether they're in the college ranks or, or, um, you know, the junior golfers that that's their dream. Can you maybe give an example of one thing that you've learned throughout your time that you kind of wish someone told you your first day as a pro, you know, obviously if you're thinking about turning pro, there's something that you do specifically that 
it makes you a hell of a player, whether it's your putting or whether you hit a 350 or whatever, whatever it is, figure it out, figure out what, what you are, what kind of player you are. So for me and my, my instance, I'm not, a, I'm not a bomber by any means. I think I finished, you know, 150th on tour this year in driving distance. I mean, I, I think my average is about 290. So I, I hit it long enough, right? but I hit it straight. And, you know, if I'm hitting it crooked, I'm really going to struggle. So for me, it was, I, I had to figure out a way to always hit it in the fairway. I mean, obviously we all miss fairways, but sure. you know, I need to keep the ball in play at all costs. So whether it's you're a phenomenal chipper and putter, just make sure you, you learn who you are and you own it and never change, you know, obviously work on the weak, weaker part of your games and try to turn them into strengths, but you know, just, just own who you are and never change just because there's a, a new hotshot kid out on tour that is hitting at 350. You know, I'd love to be hitting at 350, but, I'm never going to do that. And, and I've seen a lot of guys chase that, you know, chase things that they aren't, you know, themselves. And, and that leads, you know, a lot of them end up not playing anymore as because of it. So uh, I would just say, learn who you are and learn what type of play you are and, and own it and, you know, perfect it as, as best you can and, and see how far that takes you. Um, you've played all over the world. You've played, um, you know, in many tours, has there ever been a, tournament due to either the course conditions or the travel arrangements or the accommodations that have you, has there ever been a tournament where you're like, what the hell am I doing? Why, why am I doing this? Like what was your, the horror story that if anything would have caused you to possibly shut it down, do you have one that would have caused you to shut it down? I'm sure it may have been back in the Hooters tour days, I guess. Okay. Hooters tour. I'm trying to think. Where the hell was that? I think we were playing a course that had aerated greens. They weren't aerified. It was in Ocala. Uh, we were playing, I think it was called Golden Hills or something like that. Golden Ocala? It's, maybe that, yeah. I think it's, yeah. The one with the, ref, the, one with the, the, one with the replica holes? No, it's not, rep, doesn't have replica holes. Oh, okay. I think it's called, it was called Golden Hills. They had like a, they had like a U.S. women's mid-am in, October the year before, and we were playing there in February or March. And there's something about like the USGA wouldn't let them overseed or vice versa. Something something happened, and as a result of the USGA not letting them do this, they lost their greens like completely. There were there was no grass; they were dead. And we get up there that week, and they, the greens were literally green sand. And I, I'm not kidding. It was one of those instances where I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to play on this. Like, I might just try to get my money back and get out of here. That taught me a very good lesson that week because I ended up shooting. I, I think I was like six over for the week, which ended up being like 15. OK, um, <laughs> you know, so I, I ended up making pretty good money because back. You know, the Hooters store was great back in the day when I first started playing. You know, they had two hundred thousand dollar purses you know the winner got like 35 grand i mean you could make some serious money like you know guys like ted potter and and several other guys jeff core yeah. those guys would make you know 100 150 grand on that tour every year so the lesson was no matter what the course conditions are going into it just grind it out as everybody's playing the same conditions because yeah i ended up finishing 15th that week and you know probably made a 
$6,000 check. But I mean, these greens were in such rough shape that I swear to God, I think I missed a one foot putt that week. Try like going through my routine, lining it up right right center. But you know, the, the spike marks in the sand, I mean, the ball could literally go any direction off the face. It was terrifying. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that one, I oh that was that was so long ago. That still sticks out in my mind. It was that was crazy. That I felt terrible for the golf course because it really was out of their control. And it's right. a beautiful golf course. Like tee to green, this place is is spectacular. Well said. I uh, I definitely appreciate the time. We'll be following you uh, when things get started on the Corn Ferry Tour. I know you got uh, uh, got to get ready for that. And uh, wish you all the best, make it to the PGA Tour uh, as quickly as possible. And hopefully we'll be able to do it again soon. And thank you for uh, joining us here at the Back of the Range, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben, and look forward to catching up with you again soon. And there you have it. Special thanks to Dan McCarthy for joining us this week. All the best to him in the upcoming Corn Ferry Tour season. Don't forget, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Everything you need to know, every episode is at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time for our 100th episode here at The Back of the Range.